the American Tobacco Historic District in downtown Durham. This is Due South on WUNC. I'm Jeff Tiberi. I know, I know. Some of you are thinking, wait a second, where's my 1A News Roundup and the fantastic Jen White? Good news, she's on the way. Here's the programming lineup for the day. 11 a.m. International News Roundup on 1A. Noon, Domestic News Roundup with the fantastic Jen White. At 1 p.m., it's embodied, and then an hour later, it is uh, 2 p.m. Science Friday. So 11 and 12, 1A, 1 o'clock embodied. It's an hour later, and 2 o'clock Science Friday before we get to the world, all things considered, marketplace, and the weekend schedule. Moving parts. We're getting used to it together, so thank you for your patience. Uh, Some good news with this Friday news shift. Welcome to our inaugural Friday North Carolina News Roundup. We are thinking uh, with you current event hawks tuning into WNC. This is uh, going to be a welcome addition to your Friday schedule. We're going to have state, local, and regional news, including politics, the economy, sports, some strange and surprising news along the way as well. So here we go. So the state of our state is improving. Election day is Tuesday when hundreds of cities and towns across the state will elect mayors and council members. This is the first election in which voters will have to show an ID. You know, by participating in elections, you're able to sort of get folks into office who can really guide your community in the direction that you want it to go. Customers with options of hybrid, plug-in hybrid, ICE or combustible engine, as well as a full electric battery. The new law requires schools to notify parents if their child changes their name or pronouns or receives a change in health services at school. Davis is also the uncle of Carolina basketball coach Hubert Davis. UNC says he died this morning from natural causes while visiting family in Charlotte. The man forever known as Sweet D, Walter Davis, was 69 years old. Just a smattering of some of the stories playing out in the North Carolina news and political landscape this week. Toyota bringing more jobs to Randolph County. Municipal elections in full swing. The governor sat down for a conversation here on Due South. You also heard uh, just there Jason DeBruin and Liz Schlemmer, a couple of WUNC reporters. And also the passing of a Tar Heel legend. We will uh, discuss Walter Davis later in the program. Each Friday on Due South, the plan is to bring you uh, this roundup of much of what's happening across our state. And uh, in due time, might just be the fastest hour of news radio around. Here for the conversation today, Danielle Battaglia, Capitol Hill correspondent for the News and Observer. She joins us on the line. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Steve Harrison, political reporter from public radio station WFA in Charlotte, is here. Steve, welcome. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Good morning. And Will Dorn, state government reporter for WRAL. Will is here in studio. Will, it's nice to have uh, a breathing, living face in studio. How are you? It's great to see you, Jeff. All right. Today on the uh, inaugural North Carolina News Roundup, uh, we're going to discuss 2024, a big election year ahead, and uh, much to cover. We're going to start with uh, one of the worst-kept secrets in Raleigh, in state politics. Longtime North Carolina House Speaker Tim Moore says that he will run for Congress. This comes on the heels of congressional districts being redrawn. Uh, Danielle Battaglia is among those who has reported on this story for the News and Observer. Danielle, uh, size it up for us. When did uh, the speaker make this news, and uh, in what district is he going to run? Not sure he's technically made the news, but his uh, political advisor has. Um, Yesterday started out really weird. We were hearing rumblings that he had actually decided not to run 
for Congress, and that had happened the night before, and then he changed his mind and wanted to run for Congress, which is something we've heard over the last probably two years now, over and over, he's going to run, he's not going to run, he's going to run. Um, and then we started seeing the text messages that came out saying, I'm Tim Moore, I'm running for Congress, please donate to me. And uh, we took those to um, the political advisor and said, hey, he's sending out text messages. Uh, this is being reported on. Talk to us, like what's going on? And they finally confirmed next week, big announcement, he's running for Congress. Don't need to go to the journalists first. You can uh, go to the fundraising efforts first, and that will cue everybody that you are just quite possibly going to run for Congress. Now, Steve, uh, this is not uh, a surprising development. Speaker Tim Moore flirted with a congressional run two years ago uh, when we had new districts. He, he, we're going to get to the, 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 we think, the upcoming race here in a moment. But remind us, Steve, he, he kind of got in and then got out uh, in, in the last round. What happened there? Yeah, um, for the 2022 race, like you talked about, um, he was ready to run. But then Madison Cawthorn announced that he was thinking about leaving his district in the mountains and jumping into this district that would be part of Mecklenburg County and Charlotte and then stretching west. And Tim Moore basically realized, you know, decided he did not want to go up against, potentially go up against Madison Cawthorn in a Republican primary and he dropped out. Now, eventually that map and that seat was redrawn into a safe Democratic seat. So, but but yeah, he 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 was really close for 2022, 2022 and decided not to not to jump in. So I, I want to offer a contextual reminder here that I think is important. When you are a legislative candidate or a state legislator, you are required by law to live in the district in which you serve. But that's not the case for Congress. So you could live in Winston-Salem and represent a district uh, in the mountains of North Carolina. You just you don't physically have to be there. Uh, this district uh, that we are expecting Tim Moore, the State House Speaker, since uh, early 2015 to run in uh, is a district that reaches into your area, Steve. Uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, this district, this Mecklenburg and Mecklenburg adjacent congressional district, and if there are any other candidates uh, or any other uh, potential candidates at this point on the Republican side. Yeah, so what this district looks like today is basically half of the city of Charlotte plus Gaston County. And when you cut the city of Charlotte in half, it makes it a very Democratic district. This is the one that Jeff Jackson represents today. In the new map, they basically put all of Charlotte in one place, and we just have now the edges of Mecklenburg County. It goes west into Gaston County, into Cleveland, Rutherford County, so much more Republican. I think Donald Trump won this new district by 15 percentage points. So a Democrat really doesn't have a chance to win. Um, so for Tim Moore, you know, the general election will not be a problem, but he will have to get through the Republican primary. He already has one opponent, Pat Harrigan, who ran against Jeff Jackson last year. Um, and Harrigan's going to be a very interesting candidate in the primary because against Jackson, he ran kind of a scorched earth campaign. And it looks like he's gearing up to do that again against Tim Moore. All right. So I want to underscore the gerrymandering here. And that's what this is. This is not that's not me using a loaded word. Gerrymandering has gone on for a century. But what happens when you draw these extreme districts or these far more favorable districts to one party or the other uh, is that 
the election becomes much tighter and more important during the primary than it does the election. I'm just mirroring back what you just said to us here, Steve. So uh, this is kind of a wild phenomenon. But the speaker of the state house, a, a staunch Republican, one of the leading fundraisers, Tim Moore, is potentially going to have something of a challenge as we think about rhetoric and positioning uh, and, and ideologue or ideology uh, in this primary. Are there particular things uh, from a from a policy standpoint that you will uh, be be waiting for on this, Steve, in this primary? You know, I, I don't know if there's we're going to talk a lot about policy, but already Pat Harrigan. And let me just back up. Pat Harrigan Please. is a gun, is a firearms manufacturer. Um, and uh, so he has some money of his own and it looks like the race he will run. He's already kind of put out this push poll where he uh, shows that he is running competitive with Tim Moore so long as as voters know about the alien of affection lawsuit against Moore earlier this year. Mm. So long as they know about the casino efforts, things like that. So I don't know if this is going to necessarily be about policy, but about kind of... Um, uh, Tim Moore's past, and I and I assume that that Pat Harrigan will will make himself out to be kind of the the true conservative in the race. Steve Harrison on the line from Charlotte, Danielle Battaglia here with us from Capitol Hill, and Will Dorn in studio. Uh, we're gonna spend plenty of time talking about more and also the dominoes that ostensibly fall when someone as powerful as him steps away from uh, his post. But, Will, I want to bring you in, and I would like for you to remind listeners of just why the Speaker of the North Carolina House, one of the most powerful members in state politics, would leave to go become one of, potentially, if he were to you know do this and, and win, one of 200 Republicans in the, in the U.S. House. Why, why do this? You know, that's a great question. Um, and we've seen some congressional members that we have doing the opposite and saying that they're, you know, done with Congress and want to run for state office. Um, but, you know, um, Congress, you know, a, a really prominent place to be, you know, if, if you're you know, the kind of person who who wants to have, you know, notoriety and you know influence, then, yeah, you want to go to Congress. And, uh, you know, we <laughs> should know I, I don't know that this is necessarily why Tim Moore is doing this, but you get paid like $175,000 a year to be a member of Congress. I mm -hmm. think you get paid thirteen dollars or $14,000 a year when you're in the state house. Um, so, you know, for some people that can be an influence. I don't know that it necessarily is for Moore. But. I, I think money is certainly a consideration. Uh, he, he, he has had a successful law career, but I also would point out that when you're the Speaker of the House, you preside over that caucus. It's a conference in Congress, but it's a caucus at the state legislature. And there have been times that Tim Moore's caucus has been 70, 75 members. I mean, it is, it's respectfully, it's herding sheep, right? He has yeah. a lot of personalities and egos to navigate. Uh, I think having talked to him and having talked to people close to him, it has been an exhausting endeavor in, in parts, incredibly powerful, but an exhausting endeavor. Uh, Tim Moore has been the uh, speaker now since the beginning of 2015. He is the longest serving speaker in North Carolina history. And his looming departure from that post does send some dominoes falling. We will uh, hear from our panelists about that on the other side. Will Doran of WRAL is here, Danielle Battaglia of the News and Observer, and also Steve Harrison from WFAE. I'm Jeff Tabiri. This is the Friday News Roundup on Due South from WUNC. 
It's due south on WUNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri. Glad to have you along. Friday News Roundup, Friday North Carolina News Roundup rolls along now with Will Dorn, state government reporter for WRAL, Steve Harrison, politics reporter for public radio station WFAE in Charlotte, and Danielle Battaglia, Capitol Hill correspondent for the News and Observer. Glad to have you all here. We're discussing much of the news of the week. The big story, one of the big stories, is the announcement uh, from a close advisor to State House Speaker Tim Moore, Republican of Cleveland County, that he will run for Congress next year. We've been discussing that in the first portion of our Friday News Roundup. And Will, when this, and he had already signaled, he, Speaker Moore, that he was not going to uh, seek another term uh, as Speaker. So we right. knew that there was going to be a vacancy. Uh, what what happens there? Who who are the leading candidates, and what do you what are your expectations about the next Speaker of the North Carolina House? And my only reminder here to folks is this is a very important position in in state government. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the the two most powerful people are the you know the leader of the Senate and the leader of the House here in North Carolina. Our legislature is just right. so powerful. Right. And so, as with any sort of power vacuum, you had a lot of people kind of throw their hat in the ring. Um, you know, the the majority leader. John Bell, the rules chairman, Destin Hall, uh, one of the top budget writers, Jason Sane, um, the leader of the Freedom Caucus, Keith Kidwell, all had kind of signaled that they were interested in replacing more speaker. And people who've been watching national politics with all of their speaker drama will, you know, recall that there's also a, a Freedom Caucus in the U.S. House, you know, the, the Matt Gates types. Um, and that's a, a decently small percentage, I think, of the, the U.S. Congressional uh, Republican Caucus, but here in the state house, about half of the Republicans are members of the Freedom Caucus here, and so you know Keith Kidwell kind of had some you know momentum as you know the leader of that you know kind of sub caucus within the Republican Party, um, and then you had sort of three more establishment people who you know were you know maybe I, I don't know if they were going to split the vote, but they recently announced they were all kind of coalescing around Destin Hall and uh, you know the the other folks who had kind of initially said that hey I may be interested in running in this they they kind of backed off and said no we're going to we're going to back Destin Hall and uh he's a he's a lawyer uh from uh from Lenore and uh has been one of the most powerful Republicans he's the chairman of the the rules committee which for people who don't really follow this stuff closely the rules committee is essentially what decides what bills live mm-hmm. and die if you mm-hmm. if you want to get a vote on the floor you have to be able to pass the rules committee so he's kind of the ultimate gatekeeper of legislation i, I like the way you just put it I, I often think of the rules chairman in two different ways I, I think that he or she has and it's always been a he i believe in north carolina politics for the record but i believe that he has always uh, held the ability to send bills off to legislative siberia uh, and I also think of the rules chair as kind of the top lieutenant of both the speaker in the House, and there's a different rules chair who's the top lieutenant in many ways of the, the Senate pro tem on the uh, on the Senate side. So I, I guess I, I'm, I'm interested uh, if, if anybody here has a thought about um, thinking ahead to the next step of or the, who, who will be the next speaker. Do we have any sense? I mean, it, it is early, but I do wonder about, OK, if Speaker Moore is to step aside and someone else is to come into that role uh, in the in the short term, do we do we, do we have a sense of the mechanics of it? Does somebody step in? Will there be a, a temporary speaker or must there be a vote um, to to enact the next speaker? Do you know? Uh, th- there should be a vote. Yeah. Um, and I, I think what could be really interesting is, you know, M- Moore is still speaker. As he's running for Congress here, right. you know, they're they're out of session right now, but they're going to come back in early 2024 for, you know, what they call the short session. They're going to do some budget updates, 
potentially talk about medical marijuana, potentially talk about some, you know, alcohol reforms, maybe casinos and gambling comes back up. And mm-hmm. so it's going to be a really interesting dynamic to watch how, you know, more as presumably continuing to be the Speaker of the House kind of handles some of those issues while he's also currently running in a, you know, a primary for Congress. Mm. All right. We're going to move from uh, the speaker news to, uh, you know, a related thread, which is redistricting. These new congressional districts are what have paved the way for uh, Tim Moore to uh, signal that he's going to run for Congress. If you're just joining us on the Friday News Roundup, North Carolina News Roundup here on uh, Due South on WUNC. But new congressional districts uh, enacted really uh, in the last couple of weeks are going to fundamentally shift the makeup of North Carolina's congressional delegation as a quick contextual reminder. There have been a number of legal fights over U.S. House districts here in North Carolina. Uh, And most recently, uh, well, maybe not most recently, but a couple of years ago, the state Supreme Court uh, struck down maps. They implemented maps on their own. And those maps uh, bore out a delegation that is seven Republicans and seven Democrats. But uh, Danielle Taglia, please tell us, remind us, uh, under these new districts that were recently passed by Republican lawmakers at the General Assembly, what is going to happen with the state's congressional delegation, most likely in about a year? So most likely we're going to go from a 7-7 map, so seven Republicans, seven Democrats, to a 10-3-1 map. So it will be 10 Republicans, three Democrats, and then the first congressional district, which is our northeastern, far northeastern counties. And there's like a lot of them. I want to say like 20-ish counties in there. Um, That is our one swing district. So I think it's tinted Republican, uh, but it could really, um, but based on past voter data, go either way towards Republicans or Democrats. Right now it's held by uh, Representative Don Davis. He hasn't said one way or another if he's running again. His messaging yesterday leaned towards he is, but I haven't gotten a good feel from him on what his plans actually are. And we're seeing a lot of Republicans stack up over there. So it'll be interesting to watch. So a 7-7 split is going to move to 10 Republicans, maybe an 11th Republican. Will Dorn, what else struck you about uh, the, the districts and where this is headed, not legislatively speaking at the moment, but congressional, new congressional districts? Well, it's certainly headed to court. Um, <laughs> well said. <laughs> we'll we'll definitely see at least one lawsuit, if not multiple, about this. Um, and really, it's kind of surprised a lot of people that there hasn't been a lawsuit already. You know, it's been a whole week since these maps passed. A whole week. Yeah, I remember two years ago when they they passed maps. There were there was a lawsuit that came in a matter of hours, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, maybe even minutes. I think there might have been a lawsuit that was filed before they truly finalized the districts. Uh, the legality of it or the the legal challenges is an important part. Uh, but Steve, uh, remind us uh, the fact that the the court makeup has changed. The dynamics of the state supreme court are different. Do you have any reason to believe that uh, congressional districts are are not going to stay? Uh, for 2024. So, yeah, like you said, Jeff, the, you know, the state Supreme Court now has a 5-2 Republican majority um, that, that the state's highest court was the court that enacted that 7-7 map. I think that a state lawsuit for Democrats or Democratic aligned groups is a dead end at this point. And I think really the only uh, the only way out for Democrats is a federal lawsuit to challenge the map under the Voting Rights Act that it is disenfranchising black voters. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, there has been, there was the surprise Supreme Court decision in Alabama earlier this year that yeah. found there needed to be a second black district. Um, and that's led to subsequent challenges in Louisiana, places like that. So I think that's the play. Um, but the, the North Carolina map, it, it, it's, that's going to be a harder sell. It's going to be a harder, uh, a harder win than the Alabama map. Um, I'm not saying there's not a case. I'm just saying Alabama was kind of a very clear case that there should be a second seat for black voters. And in North Carolina, it's not a, a, as convincing of a case. Steve Harrison from WFA member station uh, in Charlotte. I want to talk a little bit about the impact of redistricting. And uh, I've used the word dominoes a couple of times now, but uh, lawmakers uh, want to keep power. They want to remain in office. But if a district goes away that is favorable to them, uh, they need to find a new home. I I think this is very well illustrated with Jeff Jackson, who was in the state Senate. He is currently a a member of Congress from a Mecklenburg region from this even 7-7 delegation. Uh, How However, Jeff Jackson's district is going to go bye-bye, and part of his district will become uh, this new area that we expect Tim Moore to run in. So uh, Jeff Jackson, high profile. He is somebody who has made a name for himself uh, on social media as well as being a state lawmaker. Uh, And when the recent maps came, he uh, chose to speak directly to the, the voters, as he often does, his constituents, via the TikTok. Got some news for you. A group of politicians in North Carolina just redrew my congressional district to take me out. They're going to replace me with one of their political allies. That's political corruption, and I've got news for them. I'm running for attorney general, and I'm going to use that job to go after political corruption. Steve Harrison, quick fact check here. Political corruption, political gamesmanship, uh, unpack that for me. Yeah, I mean, I think gamesmanship might be the might be a more appropriate term for gerrymandering. I, you know, corruption is a pretty strong word. Uh, to me, corruption implies illegality, and um, you know, the the Supreme Court has has said you know partisan gerrymandering is fair game. Um, you know, I think that's a, a bit of an eye of the beholder whether this is pure corruption or not. But certainly, gamesmanship. You know. The, Jeff Jackson running for attorney general has been something that's been kind of uh, if, if Tim Moore was the worst kept secret in the state, Jeff Jackson running for attorney general was the second worst kept secret because everyone assumed he was going to be drawn out of his seat. Fair enough. Uh, Danielle Battaglia, uh, Jeff Jackson, I, I'm not going to call him the presumptive. He, he certainly is a leading candidate on the Democratic side for attorney general. Glancing ahead to 2024, reminder, we're 368 days away now from this monumental election uh, here in 2024. But Danielle, the uh, likely perhaps opponent for Jeff Jackson at the attorney general's race is Dan Bishop. Dan Bishop was in the state house, that he was in the state Senate. He's presently in Congress. But tell us why he's not running for Congress and, and coming back home to run for attorney general. I've heard mixed messages on that, but uh, Representative Bishop has said for a while that if he didn't feel like he could be effective anymore in Congress, he would go back to North Carolina. Um, there's been different things said about his family dynamic and, and them wanting him to be back in the state and him missing being a lawyer and things like that that also play into it. But I think at the end of the day, he felt like he could more effectively get policy, policy may not be the right word, but get things accomplished as an attorney general than as a member of Congress where you have so many coworkers all with egos and 
things that they want to have done trying to get their name out there. Well, it strikes me that this possible, if not likely, general election in the attorney general's race that we'll, we'll know come March 4th, March 5th, uh, between Jeff Jackson and Dan Bishop is going to be particularly spicy. A reminder, Josh Stein is running for governor, so the attorney general's seat is open. But uh, Jeff Jackson and, uh, and uh, Dan Bishop, I could see some fireworks here. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, they are both among the, the most outspoken members of their respective parties. Um, you know, their, their supporters will say that, you know, they're good at, you know, standing up for what they believe in. Their opponents will probably call them blowhards. Um, but they are both very outspoken people and raise a ton of money, both of them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I looked at the numbers recently. You know, Jeff Jackson raised as much money in his last election for Congress, which is, you know, just one of 14 seats. Right as Josh Stein and his Republican opponent raised combined mm. in 2016 um, <laughs> when Stein was running for AG, uh, you know, in a statewide race. So this is going to be tons of money. You know, they're going to be all over the airwaves. And they're both very passionate speakers. Um, you know, uh, Jeff Jackson is known for his social media presence, really kind of reaching out to folks, kind of trying to, you know, tell them, you know, lift the lid on Washington a little bit and show them behind the scenes and, you know, Dan Bishop has, you know, never been one to shy away from a camera. Obviously, the lead author of HB2 here in North Carolina, you know, they're both they're, they're both very partisan. I, I don't think anyone would call either of them a moderate. Um, uh-uh. They're decidedly Democratic and Republican. Well stated. Uh, his voice, uh, that voice is Will Doran. He uh, is a political reporter, state government reporter with WRAL. Also with us here on our Due South Friday North Carolina News Roundup uh, are Danielle Battaglia, Capitol Hill correspondent for the News and Observer, and also Steve Harrison, longtime political reporter down in Charlotte. He's with WFAE these days. He had uh, a long run at the Charlotte Observer prior to that. Some other candidate announcements uh, came this week, uh, including from the state auditor, Beth Wood. There are some circumstances um, that are in my life, and um, I've recognized four years from now I'll be 74 years old. And so if there's some things I want to do, I need to get them done now. Beth Wood, state auditor, Democrat, not running next year. Uh, Just age, as simple as that, or maybe there's something else going on here, Will Dorn, as to why she doesn't want to take another statewide run. That's a very leading question. I I think there's a few things going on. Um, You know, we should note Beth Wood has been the auditor for years, and she's been very well respected by members of both parties um, for really not politicizing the office, just kind of, you know, keeping it straight, holding people accountable regardless of political affiliation. Right. Um, However, that reputation was a little tarnished uh, this winter. She was in a hit-and-run accident after a holiday party, and— Got a lot of criticism for that. Um, you know, she later admitted that she had had a glass or two of wine, although she was not ultimately charged with the DWI, um, just the the hit and run. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was in her state-owned car. State-owned car. That's an it, important detail. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it was not a good look for someone who is in charge of, you know, keeping everyone else accountable. Um, but when I talked to her this week after she made her announcement, she said, didn't really have anything to do with that. It was because she wants to go out um, on the public speaking circuit and uh, thinks that, uh, you know, as she said in that clip that everyone just heard, you know, if she's going to do it, she needs to do it now. Time is time is running out. Um, You know, uh, she's uh, almost 70 years old and, you know, wants to kind of embark on this second career. Yeah. We've seen a lot of moving parts as it pertains to Council of State members such as Beth Wood. There was uh, Mike Morgan, of course, uh, who was an associate justice on the state Supreme Court. Mike 
Morgan is uh, a Democrat who is also seeking the Democratic nomination in that gubernatorial race. He'll be uh, challenging uh, Josh Stein in that contest that I, I suppose is only about four months away now. We'll have a, a Super Tuesday primary in, in just a matter uh, of quick months. I want to transition uh, to Capitol Hill uh, before we have to take a break here uh, in a moment and uh, just check in with Danielle uh, on that back and forth uh, wild couple of weeks that included an interim speaker of the U.S. House from North Carolina. The chair declares the House in recess subject to the call of the chair. Just a little tape to remind you that Patrick McHenry was... Uh, But for a moment, just the second speaker uh, in the history of uh, North Carolina delegations. Uh, Danielle, has it calmed down up there with uh, with with a new for now permanent speaker? What's the latest? (laughs) I mean, calm is uh, questionable. We have a speaker and that's great. I would say the GOP is still fighting. Um, We're seeing it in the Senate now with Senator Tuberville not allowing uh, the military to do promotions right now. So it was funny to watch the GOP infighting move chambers, but there's a lot that we have to get done. We've got to get the Israel funding done, which the House had passed yesterday, but there was a poison pill in it that will make sure that the IRS uh, funding from the Inflation Reduction Act is clawed back. So the Senate has said, we're not gonna take this up, uh, do better basically. And uh, we need Ukraine funding. We need um, we need the uh, we need to get the government funding passed by November 17th. So there's a lot of things that they have said we need to get this done before we go out for Thanksgiving. And uh, they're not accomplishing it yet. And they're trying to. But it's, it's, it's a long journey. It, it is a long journey. And we're going to touch on some of these uh, congressional pressure points. I want to uh, hone in on Patrick McHenry for a moment. You and I have had several conversations in the past few weeks, Danielle, and I know, I I believe at least, uh, between our last conversations, you were slated to sit down with Congressman McHenry. Uh, We've got just a minute left or so in this segment, but give us a a brief uh, takeaway from that interview, and and we can revisit it uh, on the other side as well. Okay. I think um, speaking with him, my biggest question was, did you ever want to be speaker? Was that something that was in your mind during the three weeks that you were temporary speaker. And his thought process was, I wanna get policy done. I wanna be able to push policy. And I don't think I can accomplish that as speaker. And at this moment in the GOP um, life, I don't feel like I'm the right person to lead. He thinks that like with the climate of the GOP party, like he just doesn't have the leadership quality that they're looking for. So he, believe that somebody else was the right person to take the speakership. That person is uh, Representative Mike Johnson, now Speaker Johnson from Louisiana. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about the dynamics at play. There is, of course, uh, a major funding issue that is going to uh, play out here in the next two weeks on Capitol Hill. Will the government remain open or is uh, a shutdown imminent? Also going to ask Danielle about the dress code on Capitol Hill and uh, <clears throat> it's not exactly, uh, I don't know, the uh, the most equal as we think about male and female reporters. This is the Friday News Roundup on Due South on North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We've got Will Doran from WRAL, Steve Harrison from WFAE and Danielle Battaglia, whose name appears in the News and Observer. We'll be back in a moment here on WUNC.
Welcome back. This is Due South on WUNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri. We're beginning a weekly Friday exercise of reviewing North Carolina news. Your international news roundup follows at 11 o'clock. Domestic news roundup at noon. Embodied will be 1 p.m. on Fridays now and Science Friday at 2 o'clock. With us as part of our roundtable to contextualize, analyze, maybe even laugh at a little bit of the North Carolina news is Steve Harrison, political reporter from WFAE in Charlotte. Will Dorn from WRAL. He's a state government reporter. And Danielle Battaglia on the line from Washington, D.C. She's a Capitol Hill correspondent for the McClatchy suite of newspapers here in North Carolina. Back to Congress in just a minute. In other news this week, if you're a state employee, uh, many of you just got yourself a raise, a 4% raise, retroactive to July. However, if you're like Pat Schwing in Durham, well, I'll just let her say it. I would like to say what I plan to do with my raise in the October um, paycheck is that the pay raise is rather a moot point if you consider that the raise, per se, is actually just an economic tweak following the consumer price index and the 3.57% current rate of inflation over the past 12 months. Pat Schwing, longtime educator, K-12 public educator uh, in Durham County, uh, would love to hear from you if you're a state employee or a public school teacher about your recent raise. What did you make of it? How do you plan to spend it? Are you going to stash it away? Did you even notice it? Our email, south at wunc.org, D-U-E-S-O-U-T-H at wunc.org. All right, let's get back to Congress. And Danielle Battaglia was uh, telling us about, uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit of of a calmer chapter after the speaker fight. Uh, But on the horizon, Danielle, is a looming government shutdown. There is a new leader in the U.S. House. Uh, I'm interested in a little bit of a forecast from you, and I'm going to sub-thread this question with, uh, it's two-parter. I'm sorry to do this to you, but I'm going to do it to you. What is your forecast as of now uh, about the, the, the government uh, spending issue? We've got about 13, 14 days to go. And, and what is Patrick McHenry's role in all this, uh, if, if he's central and critical and if there's something you can share on that front? Well, he is the financial services chairman, so I always think that has to have a play somewhere. Uh, it's interesting to watch him right now because he – was, and I'll get back to your first question in a minute, but he was um, Kevin McCarthy's, one of his leading whips when he was House Speaker. And so you saw him constantly trying to get people in line with the votes and in line with what they wanted with the budget and spending bills and averting government shutdowns. And I actually do not know where he's going to stand now that Mike Johnson's in place. Mike Johnson's kind of an enigma. He came out of nowhere, basically. Uh, he wasn't a name that we were familiar with. And so, and, and I mean that quite literally, people were Googling him as he was becoming speaker, trying to figure out what we should know about him, who he is, what he stands for. That's um, wild. He, Capitol Hill really doesn't know Mike Johnson. We do now, but we didn't know Mike Johnson prior to him becoming speaker. So, um, Going back to your original question, they believe that they will be able to pass a short-term spending bill by um, by the 17th, and that will get us through January 15th, which I think kind of surprised us all because we didn't think that they'd be able to pull it off at this point for how long the speaker's race had held up being able to get anything done. 
Um, and so I question still whether it will happen because we saw the poison pill in something as simple as funding Israel, one of our allies, mm -hmm. um, had a contingency in it, and that has never happened before, or if it has, it's very rare. Um, so, you know, when we're already seeing that at play in the Senate getting mad at the House, I could see something being slipped in again that the Senate's going to say, we're not taking this up. So, as we say on Capitol Hill, we're not going to make any guesses on what's going to happen, <laughs> but uh, they tell us that it's going to happen. That, that is, is probably wise. Quick follow-up here, and then we're, we're moving to a, a tire. Um, you have mentioned the, the phrase poison pill a couple of times, Danielle, and for those uh, who are not aware, a poison pill is... Uh, something very small that is tucked into legislation that is meant to kill said legislation. Could be a, a big, beautiful bill that there's all kinds of bipartisan support on, but then there's something. Could be a sentence, could be a provision, could be funding for uh, a super controversial uh, proposal, and that pill or that uh, little bit of uh, legislative language is designed um, to either really surprise somebody and sneak it through or kill the uh, kill the legislation. Uh, Danielle, I want to spend just a moment on this because I think it's interesting. Uh, before we were recording today, before we, we, we came on, you were mentioning uh, some of the, the strife that has played out over shoes and a lack of chairs and uh, uh, the, the, the dress code for, for y'all journalists on, on Capitol Hill. Tell us just a little bit about that, please. So Capitol Hill, obviously... The Capitol is an important building. Um, there's a lot of decorum that goes into it. And I am one that, I want to set this up fairly, I believe that we should be dressed up and look nice on Capitol Hill. Okay. First of all, it really helps me know who is a tourist and who is actually working there. Okay. Very, very helpful for all me. All right, all right. But um, in the last three weeks, as we've been following, or I've been following Speaker McHenry, um, we have had to stand up a lot for eight hours a day and especially for me, that's very difficult. I don't know if you guys know I have a heart problem where standing is actually my Achilles heel that causes me to faint. Mm. So eight hours is hard for me, mm. let alone a lot of journalists just standing on marble floors. Even the police were saying like it was taxing to them to be in their shoes on the marble floor, standing up, waiting outside these meetings. We're really not supposed to be sitting um, the first couple of days, they were really strict in enforcing, like, don't sit on the floor. I have a feeling that has more to do with fire hazards and things like that. Sure. And tripping tourists and stuff. Yeah. But, um, so, going back to the shoes, um, I was in heels the first couple of days. Even flats weren't really cutting it with the marble. And um, in the speaker's lobby, especially, is where the drama's starting. So, a lot of reporters are wearing tennis shoes. I am not the tennis shoes i think okay. it's a bad look but you know y'all do you um but the i was actually doing research on this in the break so one reporter in particular was wearing like a cross between tennis shoes and loafers they're pretty they're like casual but they look like dress shoes uh -huh. if you compare them to what the men are wearing okay. and she was told she had to leave the speaker's lobby or Capitol Police would escort her out. And that's when it became like this huge drama. Hmm. And there's been a lot of things over the years with female reporters, whether it's like our shoulders couldn't show. So women have like stuffed notebook paper on their shoulders to be able to go into that uh. room to interview uh, lawmakers. And uh, the shoe thing, I think, is setting people over the edge right now, especially in light of Senator Fetterman being allowed to wear sweatshirts on the floor and... You see lawmakers going in all the time with tennis shoes. So 
it's, it's but there's been ire. There's been ire with some of the journalists up here on the hill. Danielle Battaglia, uh, McClatchy, Capitol Hill correspondent here on the Friday News Roundup on Due South on WUNC. As I mentioned earlier, we are 368 days away from uh, a major election, one that uh, will uh, decide power of the Congress, both chambers, uh, as well as the White House, state legislative races, all sorts of things. Uh, on the on the ballot a year from now. But there is, of course, an election in full swing right now. There's a lot that local government does, and there's a lot more that it may be able to do. And, you know, by participating in elections, you're able to sort of get folks into office who can really guide your community in the direction that you want it to go. That's going to look different for every community, what the priorities are. But getting people in place who can assist with those priorities, I think, is key. That is Krista Kukuro, professor at UNC School of Government. And you can hear much more from Krista as well as from her colleague, Christina Wilson, on Monday's edition of Due South. We're going to spend a bulk of the program talking about municipal elections. But right now I want to talk municipal elections for a moment with Will Dorn, who used to cover municipal elections. We've got uh, 500, between 500 and 600 across the state uh, and Uh, I think they're taking place in almost 90 counties in North Carolina. But turnout's going to stink, and general awareness is kind of low. And remind us why, if you know, that is the case. Well, I mean, you know, that could be a topic of a whole dissertation. It could. could. But I'll I'll try to keep it brief here. Thank you. (laughs) You're right. Um, One of my first jobs in journalism was covering kind of the the Raleigh suburbs in western Wake County. You know, Cary, Apex, Fuquay, Farina, Morrisville, Holly Springs, that area. and, you know, that that was a a really actually kind of popular sort of thing. You know, people wanted to know, OK, hey, you know, I saw this, you know, construction site. What's going to go there? Or, you know, what's the deal with the new park that the town is thinking of? You know, these are the sort of things that your city council votes on, you know, growth and development, kind of a plan for the future. Um, and it's really important stuff, but. I think probably a reason that we do see such low turnout in these elections is there's a lot less coverage of that than there used to be. And Some of I'm, it's on us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and it's no surprise to anyone that, you know, the, the journalism industry has been hit by lots of layoffs in recent years. Um, you know, this wasn't ancient history when I was doing this job. You know, I was doing that as recently as like 2015, but that job doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, the irony is I used to cover Apex. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was there every every other Tuesday night for the city council meetings right. and, you know, writing about that. In the last year or so, I've moved to Apex. We now have a city council election going on. I have no idea who I'm going to vote for. Huh. You don't have any idea I, who I you're going to vote for. Yeah. You're, you're not a layperson. <laughs> you're, you're very much engaged. Right? I, I'd like to think that I'm, you know, fairly plugged in. Um, but, you know, I, I was trying to look it up online, and the only thing that I could find was, you know, okay, here's who's endorsed by the Republican Party. Here's who's endorsed by the Democratic Party. But— you know, city council elections, the issues they deal with don't really line up with, you know, partisanship a lot of times. You know, I, I remember back when I was covering Apex in one election, there was a Democrat and a Republican who were running together as a ticket huh. because they agreed on, you know, growth issues. And the main issue was, you know, should we have slow growth or encourage more growth? Mm. And, you know, so partisanship doesn't really, you know, you know doesn't get doesn't supersede or doesn't, you know? right right doesn't doesn't get potholes fixed very very well said 
Uh, a couple of just notes on the the, the election. Um, we will have some more coverage of the municipal uh, slate of elections on Monday and Tuesday next week here on Due South. Voter ID is required. This is the first time a- across the state that voter ID will be required. Steve, I'm going to circle back. I want to come to you on voter ID here in a second. Um, polls open 6.30 a.m. on Tuesday. They close at 7.30 p.m. And, of course, early voting is still taking place, runs uh, through Sunday. Uh, now, voter ID, a long conversation, lots of uh, circuitous twists and turns, legal legal developments, and we'll get to some of that on, on our Monday program. Uh, but Steve, you all, if I've got it right, I'm not looking at my notes here, but you all in Mecklenburg County and Charlotte have had a primary earlier this year. You've been through the voter ID implementation and at least an, an initial wave of this. Were there any major takeaways, any major issues as it pertained to photo identification at the polls? Yeah, there really weren't. And and I think a key thing to remember with photo ID is that is that the the poll workers are required to ask you to show it. But you don't you can still vote without it. If you don't have it, you can fill out a exception form and list a number of reasons. You can say you misplaced it, you lost it. And it takes a unanimous vote of the county elections board. Both Dem- that means Democrats and Republicans have to be in agreement to reject that vote. Now, when we voted in Charlotte in September, we had only a handful of people who filled out the form. Everyone else voted okay, had their ID. There was one person who did vote who's who's with a form, without an ID and with a form, and their ballot was rejected because the reason they wrote was they thought it was unconstitutional. So if you go in and say, I don't have my ID because I don't believe in ID, your vote will be rejected. Hmm. But you can put down a number of other reasons and your vote should be allowed. Interesting. Uh, North Carolina now joining a majority of states in the country in requiring photo identification at the polls. Uh, Just a quick note uh, as we wrap up this first week of Due South uh, here on WUNC. uh, Among the the many uh, segments we had, uh, we had a conversation with the governor. My colleague Leonita Inge spoke with uh, the Poet Laureate of Chapel Hill. Many of you heard our first Southern mixtape, uh, and I also gathered uh, at one point earlier in the week a couple of papas to discuss contemporary fatherhood. We're calling that segment About Dad Time. You can get caught up on the week of Due South at our website, DueSouthRadio.org. Uh, I just wanted to note, when running out of time here, we have uh, one more lighter story to get to, but a heavier one first. Um, Walter Davis has passed away. He was a a UNC basketball star in the 1970s, and he is the uncle of current Carolina men's basketball coach Hubert Davis. Uh, On Monday, uh, we'll have a conversation with Hubert Davis. I recorded that weeks ago, uh, and he actually talks about Uncle Walt uh, during that conversation. So uh, you will hear that uh, on Monday. Walter Davis uh, died earlier this week. He was 69 years old. On a much lighter note to end uh, today, there is a closure on the Blue Ridge Parkway this weekend. There's a closure because people can't seem to remember what you're not supposed to do with bears. Parkway Superintendent Tracy Swartout says she's concerned for the safety of both bears and park visitors, noting that attempts to attract the animals with trash and food, quote, can lead to very dangerous situations. Uh, That's WFDD's Neil Charnoff reporting on uh, humans trying to feed and hold baby bears in western North Carolina. Uh, I'm not going to hide my opinions all that well on this one. They're like, come on, guys. Like, Will, you've never tried to pick up a bear, have you? I mean, not yet. (laughs) 
Danielle, Steve, uh, do, do, do have you ever tried to feed or cuddle with a with a baby black bear? I realize they're not aggressive like grizzlies, but come on, right? Absolutely. Absolutely you have or absolutely not? You... <laughs> absolutely I have, but that was a joke. Absolutely not. I would not try to cuddle a bear. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, that's something I joke about with my kids, and yes, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Part of the Blue Ridge Parkway, uh, I believe it's in down in Buncombe County. Mile markers like 367 to 375 if you're going leaf peeping this weekend are closed. Uh, folks, do not play with the bears. This is uh, not something I need to say on the Friday News Roundup on Due South, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, this was our, our inaugural roundup. Um, big thanks to you for listening, and of course, a big thanks to our panel. Will Dorn is state government reporter for WRL. Will, thank you. Thank you. Steve Harrison, politics reporter for public radio station WFAE in Charlotte. Steve, enjoy your weekend. Thanks, Jeff. And Danielle Battaglia, Capitol Hill correspondent for the News and Observer. Danielle, thanks as always for the insight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My name is Jeff Tabiri. want to thank you for tuning in to this first week of Due South on North Carolina Public Radio WUNC. This Friday News Roundup was produced by Cole Del Charco, also helping us get uh, centered and focused this week. Our producers, Stacia Brown and Rachel McCarthy. Aaron Kiever is our executive producer. Denarius Thomas is our technical director. And my esteemed co-host and colleague is Leonita Inch. I'm Jeff Tabiri. Let's do it again on Monday. <laughs>